You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you uh, for many different reasons. Um, one reason is um, um, Midlothian has a soft spot in my heart. My sister has lived here for, I think, over 20 years. And uh, when I was a kid, we'd come up here. She, she uh, moved up here, her family, when I was uh, still at home living with my parents. And I used to call this middle of nowhere. And uh, now, now it's somewhere. I mean, middle of changed a lot over the years. I remember when you got your Walmart, my sister's like, yeah, we got a Walmart. Like, I live in Houston. We got Walmarts everywhere. And I came here, and your Walmart's better than our Walmart. That's, what I'm, that's all I'm saying. A little Walmart envy right now, okay? And um, another reason I'm great to be here is, is I, really, um, I really love your pastor. Uh, you have a great great pastor. And I'm not just saying that. I know we don't know each other, but I don't say it about every pastor, okay? I'm saying it about Rodney. And uh, we got to meet uh, Rodney and Laura this summer at a uh, Acts 29 pastor's retreat that we were at in Vail. And my wife Kathleen and I just fell in love with them. And uh, we had like a lunch. And then I think we talked like in that little weird cafe there for like a couple hours after. And and I just love this guy. I mean, there's uh, the rare... There's a, it's a sad thing to say, but it's really a rare day when a guy that's a pastor, a man that's a pastor, um, isn't just trying to be a CEO or trying to build a big show with his name on it, but really wants to pastor, shepherd people to know, uh, love, and follow the Jesus that's in the Bible. And that's the kind of pastor you have. And so uh, I love him. I think he's a great guy. You are blessed to have him and Laura. And uh, so, you know, buy them, buy them lunches, buy them meals. You know, the offering baskets, put like Starbucks gift cards in there just with his name on it. That's for free, Rodney. I'm, 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 I'm helping you. I'm a helper. Uh, and, and just, you know, love on him uh, as much as you can. Or I'll come down here and hire him or something. I, no, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. So you want to look at me kind of mean. Don't take him. I won't take him. But uh, he's a great, great guy. And so it's great to be here. Um, like I said, they said earlier, my name's Chuck, and uh, I pastor a church in Sugarland. Um, married, been married for almost 18 years. Um, I have four kids, uh, a 12-year-old girl, uh, about to be a 10-year-old girl, five-year-old boy, three-year-old uh, little girl. And so uh, I'm very tired all the time. And my wife is even more tired all the time. Uh, and so, but it's really good to, to be with you this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them back up to Mark chapter 14. Uh, Mark chapter 14. Uh, I don't have that page number that you guys on. It's 700 and something, uh, I think, or um, something like that. I don't know how you feel about extravagance when, when people go overboard with something. Uh, sometimes it can just be a little uncomfortable. It can be a little strange and a little odd. Um, like those guys, and, and, and um, I'm 40, so I'll say this. I'll say the over 40-year-old guys with beer bellies that go to the football games and they take off their shirts and, and they paint their bodies. Maybe they spell a name. Maybe they paint certain colors and do kind of the shake-a-later on TV and they're just waiting for the camera to come and you're just like, that's a little extreme. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. I mean, can we just... <laughs> Can we turn that off? Children are watching. Girls, look away. You know, I'm just, you know, let's turn it off immediately. It's, just, it's a little, little extravagant for me. Or like um, on uh, Thanksgiving this year, my family and I went to downtown Houston for the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And then, uh, like I said, I live out in Sugarland, which is suburbs. So we're driving back out to, to Sugarland and we pass our, our Best Buy in Sugarland. And already at 11 a.m. on Thanksgiving Sunday, someone has a tent set up outside Best Buy camping out for the sales on Black Friday. 
And it's just a little extreme to me. I'm thinking, you think mama's happy with that? Unless mama's camping out. She's like, we're getting a bigger TV, you know, but uh, that, that's a little extreme for me. I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, if you did that, no, you know, maybe you got a great deal, but that's just a little extreme for me. And then I don't know if you've heard about this deal, but you know when they open up a new Chick-fil-A, um, if you camp out, some of you, some of you know this, you're not in like, I've experienced this, but um, you, you camp out for 24 hours outside the new Chick-fil-A. That means you've got to stay there all 24 hours, rain, cold, whatever. Uh, like when the, we had big freeze hit Houston, which means like it got below like 40 and we shut the town down. We're wimps down there, you know. If you've been around there, you know. So, um, so it was a really, really cold night. And so they did it 24 hours, open up, and they feed you Chick-fil-A like all day and night. If you stay and you have to sign off on this thing, they check to see if you've been there. And if you stay the whole 24 hours, do you know this deal? You get free Chick-fil-A for a year. Now, I'm okay with that one. I think that is awesome. I think there ain't nothing wrong with that, you know? That's God's chicken, you know? We're gonna eat, that's going to be a good thing. But, you know, it's just the idea of, of extravagance. And what we're going to do in the passage that, that Rodney read earlier, we're going to read again right, right now, is we're going to see this picture of extravagance that makes some people uncomfortable. It doesn't make Jesus uncomfortable, but it makes some people uncomfortable. And what we'll see here is the person that does this act of extravagance and then the people that react, they're coming at, at this, this whole interaction from two different points of view. And we're going to look at the difference between someone who is astonished by Jesus Christ. They are, they're continually astonished in their heart and soul by the truth that God sent Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the perfect Son of God, sent Him from heaven to earth. He was fully human. He lived the life we should have lived, perfectly obedient to God, then went to a cross and died the death we should have died in our place for our sins, absorbing the wrath of God Almighty in our place so that if you turn to him by faith and give him your life, the, the scriptures say you can be forgiven of all your sins, adopted as a child of God, become a temple of his Holy Spirit, unconditionally loved, totally accepted, completely forgiven of sins, past, present, and future. It's this astonishment of that, a continual awareness, a continual astonishment, a continual awe of that versus just being familiar with Jesus. I mean, you know the stories. You know Noah and the Ark. You know, like, you know, yeah, Jesus, Christmas, about to be Easter, a couple of weeks. You know the stories. You may even volunteer at a church. You may volunteer at this church. You may listen to Christian music. But it doesn't move you anymore. It's just something you're familiar with. It's a very scary place to be, actually, as we're going to see. So let's look at this story again. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1, we'll read the passage again. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So we're two days away from the Last Supper. If you know, you know the story of Jesus, we're two days away from Last Supper, garden prayer, betrayal, trial, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. Verse 3, And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. 
But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So in this story, you know, look at verse 3. He's in Bethany, not too far from Jerusalem, at the house of Simon the leper. Here's the funny thing. You don't go to a leper's house. Leper, when you have leprosy in those days, you're outcast from the city. You live on the outskirts of town. You probably live in a leper colony, which is, you know, a guy, and, you know, leprosy is this degenerative skin disease and body parts have fallen off. It's pretty disgusting. And, and people stayed away from them because, one, they thought they were religiously unclean, that it was because of sin they had this disease. And the other, it was that they believed to be highly contagious, and it was highly contagious. And so they had to live on the outskirts of town, and when people got near them, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Maybe, maybe you've heard that before. So if Jesus Jesus at the house of Simon the leper, that means he was a leper. Most likely, scholars say this is a man that Jesus healed. He was a leper, but not anymore. But still got that nickname, which is kind of a bummer for him. He's like, I'm not the leper. Why do you call me the leper? Um, and so he's there. And what we know also, this story, then this lady comes in and does this, this act. She takes this jar. It says here, this alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Now, nard, uh, it's really a root that comes into Paul. And if you take kind of out the, if you kind of take it and you kind of grind it down and take some st- this ointment from it, uh, you kind of create, the, it's kind of like this perfume, this really incredible scented perfume. Very rare because it's not like they were like going, taking trips into Paul. So most likely... This was received like, you know, someone traded for it. Someone did go on a trip a long time ago. And as you see there, it's in an alabaster flask. Again, very rare, very expensive, very costly thing. And so she comes into this dinner party and breaks it. And and, and what Jesus says, anoints him with it, pours it over him. Now, what we know is this story is also recorded in John chapter 12. So we know who these people are. This is Mary, the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha. So maybe you remember those stories before of Mary and Martha. There's the story where Jesus is talking with them and Martha's working in the kitchen and Mary's sitting at his feet listening to hanging on every word. And they have a little, they have a little scuffle that Jesus has to, to talk about. And then, of course, the story where Lazarus, his friend and, and their brother, dies. He's dead and buried. They had sent for Jesus and told him he was sick, but Jesus didn't come in time. And you can read about that story, I believe, in John chapter 7. And and so Jesus comes, and Lazarus is already dead. And you know the story. He walks up to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And you know why he had to say, Lazarus, come out? Because if he just said, come out, every dead person in the world probably would have come out of the dead. I think a little awkward. So he just said, Lazarus, come out. And so, um, you know, Lazarus comes out. So this woman, Mary, she's she seen Jesus and been around Jesus. And so maybe we don't know, and scholars say it's hard to tell. We don't know if she gets what's about to happen. I mean, Jesus says, this is my body before my burial. He, of course, knows what's about to happen. He's going to the cross. He's going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. We don't know if Mary gets that, but she gets him enough. She's sat at his feet. She's heard him talk. Sitting at his feet is the posture of a disciple. So she's heard him teach. She's been around him. She's seen his power. She's seen him call a dead man out of the grave. She gets him. We don't know exactly how much, but she gets him enough to be astonished by him. She's overwhelmed by him. She is in awe of him. And it moves her to do something. 
And, and when you're astonished by Jesus, when you're around Jesus, it moves you toward worship. Now, we, we see that this is not a very, um, not everyone likes that she does this. It says in verse 4, there were some who said to themselves, indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Well, again, in John chapter 12, we find out who the some were. It's the disciples. And we also learn in John chapter 12, someone says it out loud. It's Judas Iscariot, the man who Mark will write about in a minute. And John adds this little caveat about uh, Judas. He said he said this, why was this ointment not given? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So you have Judas, who's around Jesus a lot, works for Jesus. And you have Mary, who we know has heard his teaching, seen his power, and astonished by him. And what this, when you're astonished by Jesus, when you're astonished by who he is and what he's done, and, it, and, it's, and it's, it's just landed in your heart, it's dropped from your head down into your heart and soul, then you worship. And worship, uh, you know, and David and I think most of the worship team, and I know Rodney would say, worship isn't just singing. That's worshiping through singing. Worship comes from the old Anglo-Saxon term, worth-ship. We kind of, how we treat royalty. It's, it's showing someone their worth and how much they're worth to you. So she is showing in this picture how much Jesus is worth to her. And so this is, so as we go through this story here, we're going to see four things about a person who's astonished by Jesus and who worships him out of that astonishment. And then we're going to look at a picture of someone who's just familiar with Jesus and what that brings to the human heart. So first of all, the picture of worship, the picture of someone astonished by him. Because in Romans 12, it says, the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The the New International Version translation, different translation of what's on the screen, which is the uh, ESV, that's the the Bible's under your chairs. The New International says, um, in view of God's mercies. So when you view the mercy of God, when you're astonished by the mercy of God, when you're astonished by Jesus, as Mary seems to be here in this passage, you worship, you offer your, your whole life, your whole self to show God, to show Christ how, how, much, how much he means to you. So four things here. Number one, worship is about worth. It's about worth. It's about grateful love. It's about answering this question. What is Christ really worth to you? I know you might sing songs to him. You might even raise a hand every now and then. You may get carried away and raise two hands every now and then. You know, you may give an offering sometimes. You may tithe. You may have a family Bible. What's he worth to you? What's he worth to you? Because it costs something to follow Jesus. Every act of integrity, every time you forgive someone, every time you take time to serve, every time you take time to, you know, say a kind word, to to step out of yourselves and and, and be about something bigger than yourself, it costs you something. But is he worth that to you? I mean, how much is he worth to you? Is he worth just an hour on Sunday? Is he worth just a couple of bucks you throw in the offering basket? You might say, no, I'm a tither. He's, He's worth 10%. My pushback would be, he's only worth 10%. I mean, if you've been astonished by him, 
if you've been astonished by his grace, if you've been astonished by, by what he's done for you, you've been astonished by his love, you've been astonished by the fact that he absorbed the wrath of God for you. Then he should mean everything to you. He should be worth it all to you. Because you know, because you know that if it wasn't for his grace, not only right now, should you be dead in hell because you've offended a holy, just God? So every moment in your life is grace, but if you've met him and you know him and you've received his forgiveness, then you're his child. You're not just getting common grace everyone has right now is not dead. You've got saving grace. He should be worth everything to you. He should be worth everything that's in your checking account. He should be worth more than all your possessions. He should be worth everything. Your, your calendar should be always at his disposal. Because here's, here's what I know. We look at each other's ATM balance and our ATM kind of receipts and stuff, what we've been using our, our check card on. We look at our credit card statements. You know what we discover about each other? What we value. I'd see how much you go to Starbucks. You see how much I go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and we, know it, we would know what each other values. We'd see how much our mortgage is. We'd see how much we care about things. We'd see those receipts to those clothing stores. We'd see those receipts to that bar. We'd see what what's, we really care about. When you're astonished by Jesus, he's worth something to you. So everything you do, if we looked at your life, if we looked at your calendar, we'd find out what's important to you. And I'm not just talking about what you have to do on your agenda for the work week. I'm talking about your whole calendar. What you do in your recreation. What you do after work. You know what we find? What's, what matters to you. You'd find what matters to me. So I come back to the original question. What's he worth to you? What's he worth to you? Are you astonished by him? Have you seen him? Have you tasted him? Have you experienced his grace? If so, then you will have a heart response to say, he's worth everything to me. I want to respond in faithfulness. He's worth everything to me. Number two, worship is self-forgetful. It's self-forgetful. This is a very scandalous act, okay? Because in that culture, I mean, you think about it. It's weird in our culture. You're having a dinner party, and then a woman comes in, breaks a bottle Chanel number five, and starts pouring it all over a guy. That's just awkward. I don't care who you are, where you're at, you know? It's just a little odd. And um, and even in this this culture, it's it's a lot odd. Because the, the, the women don't come into where the, the men were in, the, in this time, in this culture. And they don't come in uninvited or unannounced. I mean, the, the, the you know, weirdest kind of upsetting thing would be is, guys, you're watching the afternoon football game, and your wife decides to have a tea party right in front of the TV. It'd be like, whoa, you know, I mean, it'd be like a little offensive to you. I mean, take that and take it to now the most social, scandalous act. That's what she's done. She's come in and, and, and she's done this thing and, and, it's, and it's, she's, it's just kind of she's forgotten her place. She's forgotten what's normal. She's forgotten what's socially acceptable because when you're, when you're astonished by Jesus, when, he keeps, when you keep the, the cross of Christ in front of you and you're astonished by his love, you're astonished by his holiness, you're wrecked by your sin and, and then you kind of just kind of forget yourself. You just kind of forget what's proper and what's right when everyone says is normal. And so things like like sexual purity unless you know until you're married not unless but you know sexually pure till married say you're a teenager and you say i'm gonna be a virgin until i'm married 
Your friends are going to look at you like you're ridiculous. I mean, people start talking about relationships like it's a car. You've got to take this thing out for a spin. What are you talking about? I'm just, he's worth it to me. I'm just, I forget what's, what everyone says is acceptable and normal. I, have you seen him? Have you experienced him? Do we, do we know the same Jesus here? Why, why would that be weird to you? Taking a week's vacation and going on a mission trip. Why would someone do that? A week's vacation. That is a precious commodity. Why would someone do that? Why would they just kind of forget to, you know, go to the lake or go hunting or, or take, the, take the family on a trip and see the in-laws? Well, well, there's a reason why you won't see the in-laws, but, you know, why, why would someone forget that? Because something's happened to them. See, when you're a Christian, you're a true Christian, not what we're going to call in a minute a religiously lost person. When Jesus Christ, you've met him and you're astonished by him, something has happened to you. It's happened to you. It's not just something you believe. It's not just facts. The script, Jesus called it being born again. The apostle Paul calls it being a new creation. Something's happened. And so he's now worth everything to you. And now you just kind of forget your place in the world. Your place is with him. Your place is for him. You're self-forgetful. Oh, that's proper? I sort of forgot. I'm not so self-conscious anymore. I, I'm his. So worship is self-forgetful. Number three, we see that worship here is wholehearted. Now, what do I mean by wholehearted? I mean, this is a deep emotional response. It almost seems kind of personal and intimate. Um, now, now, if you get past the kind of, it's awkward, she's pouring this over his head. It just, it's kind of, you know, it's this very, you know, sweet smell that she's pouring on his hair and, and pouring on his head. And it's just like, this is a little uncomfortable. Why would we say wholehearted? Because she didn't just believe with Jesus in her head. It moved her to a response. She didn't just have emotions about Jesus. You know, she didn't just have emotions and, 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 and just kind of get a tear. You know, she's not just the, the crier, you know. Are, are you the crier? Or, you know, do you ever, who cries at movies? Come on, who cries at movies? Think some men raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my hand, guys. I mean, those dadgum Pixar movies, you know. Who went and saw Up with my kids? And like first 10 minutes, I'm just like, <laughs> she's dead. I mean, the guy is a widower. My, my oldest daughter and I were crying, consoling each other. My wife and 10-year-old looked at us like, could y'all get a grip? <laughs> Pass the popcorn and quit this wine. And it's just, you know, you're, you're, it's kind of your mood emotionally. See, when you're, when you're, it's a wholehearted response to when you're astonished by Jesus. It's not just, yes, I believe these facts about him. Yes, it moves me. I might shed a tear. No, it moves me to action. It moves me to do something. I'm moved. My, my, my fiber's shaking. I, I have to do something. It's like men when you first saw your girl. You're like, I'm moved. I gotta go ask that girl out. I gotta go ask that girl to marry me. She's dating that fella. I'll kill him. They'll never find the body. I want her. I'm moved. You know? You're moved. First time you saw that baby. That baby, just kind of be right there in that hospital room. You hold that baby, man. You're like, nothing will keep me from loving you and protecting you. You're moved. It's like when you, when you hear a good speech or you, you see a movie or something happens and you're moving out, I'm going to do something. I'm moved. I mean, we went on our men's retreat a few weeks ago at our church and, and the guy that spoke on our men's retreat is actually coming here in a few weeks, man, and he's going to do a training event here. And Rodney will tell you about that at the end of the service. Uh, my friend Yancey Arrington, you should come and hear Yancey. It'll be awesome and he, it's going to be great, great stuff And because um, we just heard it all in my men's retreat. But we get about 60 men and we're in this room and we're singing. I don't know if you've been in a room where 60 men sing. 
But you got these voices singing. We're singing in Christ alone. Y'all know that song? Y'all sing that song here? That's good. It's good, church. Uh, and, um, and you're singing this song in Christ alone. And you got these men just singing. The walls are shaking. It moved me. I'm like, let's take off our shirts and rub raw meat on us and fight people. I mean, I knew. Let's go. I mean, I was just like, yes, this is incredible. Here are 60 men with their arms in the air singing, Christ alone, my hope is found. That moved me. I mean, when you see Jesus and you, you don't just, just, just think about the cross and believe the cross and maybe shed a tear because it's a sweet little story and you went up to Glen Rose and saw the promise, but you're moved by it. And that separates the Christian from the religious people. It separates the Christians who will go die, who will go die to themselves than the people who are irritated they had to park far away. It separates the Christian who says, here's my whole life, and I'm giving a whole response to your grace than the one who's irritated when your pastor talks about how the church needs to be giving. It separates the Christian from the religiously lost people when you're moved by his grace. And number four, worship is an act of radical vulnerability. See, the, the idea here, I forget if I said this already to you, but the idea here is this, this, this flask, very expensive, very costly. Um, it says here 300 denarii. That's about a year's salary. Not a year's savings, a year's salary. So it's hard to put in our terms today because this is very much a rural, rural area uh, in terms of like fishing, poor farmers, people working on farms, things like that. But, you know, roughly from, from what I was studying the passage and, and looking at what scholars say, let's just think about 30 to 50 grand is what this is worth. Not only that, but in that culture, that's like a million bucks. Most likely this was either some gift from a family, like a family heirloom. Uh, could be the family savings, because we, we think that Mary and Martha probably weren't married, and that La- and then probably their father and mother were gone, so Lazarus, being the older brother, was kind of taking care of them. And this was probably their, you know, their family fortune, their, what, what they, kind of their rainy day fun. Or it could have been her dowry. So when she gets married, this is what she brings into the marriage. Whatever it is, it's gone. It's gone in an instant. And you know, when you do something like that, when you say, say your whole savings, you know, let's just say you have a, you know, it's, it's rare to find people that have savings accounts. But say your whole savings, and you, you just gave that away. What, let's not even say a stone gate. Okay, you gave it to another church, a missionary, something like that. All of it, every dime of it. You closed the account and gave it away. Because you felt to do that. You give away your next paycheck. I know what you're thinking. Well, what if? What if we get sick? How, how, how will we pay the bills? What if the car breaks down? What, what if, you know, what if so-and-so, I, I need to, you know, pay medical bills for that? Or what if I lose my job? You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. See, Mary is vulnerable now. She's radically vulnerable. She's no longer trusting in financial or social capital as her security. She's trusting in him. She knows who he is. If the guy can raise a dead man, he probably can take care of me financially. She's trusting in him. 
And when you're astonished by Christ, when you're astonished by the gospel, it's, it's like, I'm, 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 I'm so moved, and, I, and I'm going to show how much he's worth to me, and, I, and I'm going to just kind of be self-forgetful and forget about myself and die to myself, and I'm going I'm to move out and start following him, and I give my life away for his sake. I'm going to talk to my neighbors, and, and well, what if your neighbors think, you know, you're kind of crazy? Who cares? He's with me. I have him. I'm going to start giving money away. I'm going to give money to my church. I'm going to give money to people when I have a need. I'm going to create a whole different account just for my my Jesus fund so I can give people when they have needs and do that? What, what if you need that money? He'll take care of me. You know, I don't realize who I am. I am his child. I'm a child of the most high. My father is filthy rich. Uh, this Christmas, we drove to, um, uh, drove to Florida to spend Christmas with my in-laws, and um, we get to Mississippi, and uh, I try to get very quickly through Mississippi, but the kids were hungry. So we pulled over. The only thing open on Christmas Day, it, probably anywhere, is a Waffle House. Um, y'all have Waffle Houses in the Lothian? I know they're all around Texas, but uh, and Waffle Houses are great. I mean, spe- I mean, it's like everything's bacon fried. I mean, I think there's bacon in the coffee, you know? I mean, you're just, you gotta floss after you do it. So we go in, and, um, and, and uh, so we sit down, and I have a big family, and so Waffle House was not made for big families. But so we're all in there, and the lady comes, she's taking order and all this, and I just, I don't know, I thought no one wants to be in Waffle House on Christmas Day, unless you're traveling, that's all you got. Or you have to work there. And so the waitress comes over and we started talking to her. And, and I believe her name was Sarah. And we started talking to her. And, you know, did you have to? She goes, yeah, I had to work last night. You had to work on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. She said, yeah, but I got Christmas morning. Okay, what'd you get your kids? I got our kids this and that and all that. And then she looked at my kids. What'd y'all get? And I just like, don't say, you know, because she's like saying really small thing. My kids are like, we got a trampoline. And it's like, yes, we got a trampoline. You know, it's great. You know, I didn't want to make a big deal about our Christmas because you tell she, and she goes, oh, we wanted to get a trampoline, but we, we just couldn't this year. And she didn't say like, what was me? She just said, and, and she walks off, and I start eating my waffle and bacon, and the voice of the Holy Spirit, resembling my wife, goes, what are we going to do? <laughs> it happens. <laughs> she took on my wife's form. I don't know what happened. Um, she looks over at me and says, so what are we going to do about this? I'm eating bacon and a waffle. What are you going to do about a woman? That didn't go well. Uh, she says, she Chuck, what are we going to do about it? I put my fork down. My girls are looking at me. I had a moment. And dads, look at me. You're going to have moments to declare before your wife and kids how much Jesus is worth to you. You either blow it, there's grace if you blow it. But what if you seized it? I had my moment. So I looked at them all and said, we're going to buy our trampoline. And my daughter's like, seriously, we're going to Walmart? You know, and I said, no. Here's what we'll do. I call, her, I call the manager over and say, I'm about to tip this lady uh, $400, and I need to know that you're okay with that. Well, sir, of course I am. Christmas is the season to be jolly. May I ask why you're doing this? You know, and, was, and I'm like, don't make me punch you, okay? You know? <laughs> and it's like, just, will she be able to get the money, or does she have to split up with all the knuckleheads, especially you? And, um, and, he, and he's like, no, no, she'll get the money tonight. That's what I want to know. So she comes back over, and the, the manager's just kind of like looking and kind of freaking out. She comes back. It's a true story, and I know you don't know. I mean, call my wife. I'll give you our cell phone number. She'll tell you. Um, and, and she comes back over, and I said, Sarah, I'm going to tip you $400 tonight so you can buy a trampoline, because my trampoline cost uh, $300, and I think it cost like 320 at Academy. I got the cheap one. Sorry. Um, you know. <laughs> But the extra money's for the little gates. Your kids don't bloody their heads or your friends come over and bloody their heads and then you get sued. I'm, I'm, I, again, I'm a giver. And, um, 
And I say, so I, would that be okay if I tipped you for that? <laughs> it just burst into tears. Why would you do that? Another opportunity. I've blown many opportunities, man. Don't make me the hero. I could spend the rest of our day telling you about my opportunities I've blown. But I have to say to her, because it's Christmas Day and the God of heaven sent Jesus to be the best gift in the world so we might know God. And he knew this morning when your alarm woke off and that you were going to work Christmas Day that a family of six would get up in Sugarland, Texas. And by a sovereign plan, he brought you here and brought us here so he could tell you how much he loves you. I don't go to church very much. He's not taking role. You don't take role here, do you? <laughs> I don't take role, you know. He's not taking role. But he loves you. I tipped her. Paid for. I didn't give her a big track until her turn or burn. I just did that, and I left. Okay. Now, why do I tell you that story? Not because I think I'm a good person. Again, I could I could lay out the ways I've blown it, but I will say something, just personally, pastor or not. He's moving me, and when he moves you, you don't just sing about it. You don't just go to groups and talk about it. You don't just read books about it. You don't just say, oh, I'm going to get better one day. It moves you. And everything's affected. The way you raise your kids and love your wife and work your job and handle your money, what you do with your spare time. You sit in front of that computer, man, and you got a choice what website to go to. You can look at that junk or you can be moved by His grace and His glory. So worship's about being moved, and it's, it's about total dependence, radical vulnerability, worth, self-forgetfulness. Now we have this other picture, and I'll be brief on this last picture, because that's astonishment. Then you got this guy, Judas. And we already saw from John chapter 12, he knew Jesus. He handled the money. He was around him all the time. But something happens. Something clicks in this encounter. I know sovereign plan of God for Christ to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. I know that. But something else just clicks for him here. So look in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to portray him, Jesus, to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. I mean... Judas, he's, he's one of the twelve. I mean, do you understand that? I mean, that, let's just understand what that means. It means that he saw it all. He saw Lazarus come out of the grave. He saw the lame man get up and walk. He saw the blind man see. He saw the people filled with demons coming, talking out of this growly voice, head spin 360s. He saw Jesus say, be gone. He was in the boat when the storm is blowing up and, and being cast over and they think they're going to die and they wake Jesus up and he s- wakes up and he says, be quiet and stay quiet. And he tells a hurricane that and it stops. He saw it all and he betrayed him because he wasn't astonished. We know from history, we believe that Judas was a zealot. And a zealot was someone who believed that when the Messiah came, he was going to march into, into Jerusalem and kick out the Romans. Take swords in hand, paint your face half blue, wear a kilt, say freedom, and march in there and, and make it happen. And, and Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus wasn't going on Judas' agenda. See, in the kingdom of God, the one who has the agenda is the king, not the subject's. And so 
We need to have this picture of Judas because here's the deal. If you're not astonished you're one of two th- by the gospel, you're one of two things. You either have gotten religiously cold to it, you're a believer in Christ, but you've just gotten cold to it. Or you're religiously lost and you've never known him. You've been around this stuff. You're familiar with him. You're familiar with him. You, sir, and you might say, what does that mean? How can I be familiar with it and not be a Christian? The Bible says so. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, Jesus said this. Do we have this verse, Matthew 7? Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, you get that? Here, here's the thing. Second uh, Corinthians 13, 5. We probably don't have that, do we? 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves. Keep this up for a second. To see whether you're in the faith, test yourselves. You can write that verse down. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Here's the deal. That verse is meant for somebody. That verse is probably meant for somebody in this room. That's what's scary. I've been a Christian. I really met Christ at a camp when I was was a teenager. I've been in pastoral church ministry since about 20. I started working in churches. This still scares me. Because look at it. They did all this stuff for him. And you're like, you're you saying, you know, I volunteered at the church. I went to vacation Bible school when I was a kid. I walked the aisle and I took the man by the hand and signed the card. I got put underwater and brought back up. I got sprinkled when I was a kid. Here's the, here's the deal, friends. None of that makes you a Christian. Faith in Jesus Christ alone makes you a a child of God. Only that. It could be you. Judas isn't just the bad guy in the passion plays and in the, the Jesus movies. He's a warning to us that you can be so familiar with Jesus. And if you're a Christian, your heart grows cold of the gospel, or maybe you're not a Christian and you're just religiously lost. And being friends, I've been in the Texas area pretty much my whole life. Here's what I know about us. We got churches everywhere, buildings with crosses on top, schools, convention centers filled with churches. This verse is true for somebody. It's gotta be. He wasn't just talking. And so it it should scare us. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to test yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says. So let me give you a couple of pictures here that we see of Judas in this passage, and then we're done of being religiously lost or religiously cold. The first thing is an undercurrent of anger in your life. I mean, Judas is angry. It says they scolded her, and in John 12, it tells us it's Judas that says it. And, And this is the idea that Maybe you're not walking around just enraged, but you get irritated if you're this person when other people love Jesus and it seems to be working for them. Because maybe you're in a season or been in a season where you tried to be decent, you tried to be moral, and you had a commitment to God and things didn't go so well. And so your thought is, why them, not me? Why, why God bless them and not me? You ever said that? You ever thought that? Friends, if you think your decency, your morality, your commitment to God means that God owes you anything, you're going you're gonna to be frustrated. You're going to live a sad life. God doesn't owe you anything. Everything you get is grace. 
Everything you get is grace from him, an undeserved gift from him to you. And so there's this, this anger of, well, why do they get to have kids? You know, I mean, they, they, they're, they're living together. Now she's pregnant. And, and why do they get to do that? I mean, we're, we're married. We, we fought to stay pure. And now we're infertile. What's going on here? I'm not saying it's not okay to be upset about that. But how angry are you about that? How angry are you? Are you like the older brother in the prodigal son story in Luke 15? When, when the father welcomes home the younger brother and embraces him and loves him and they kill the fatted calf, which could feed the whole village, and he welcomes him back in. And then the elder brother hears about that and he stays in the field. So the father goes out to him and says, come in. And he says, look, I've been slaving for you all these years. You never even gave me a goat to have a party with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, who squandered your wealth on hookers and gambling, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? You don't remember what the father says? He says, son... Everything I have is yours. It was right to celebrate. Do you have that elder brother thought? Like, why them? Why them and not me? I've never done, and you fill in the gap what makes you feel righteous before God. I've never slept around. Maybe you're the guy that's like, I've never raised, I've never, you know, raised a fist to my wife, or I've been good to my kids and made a, made a hard made a hard working, earned a good living for them. It doesn't make you righteous before God. It doesn't make him owe you anything. Because here's the reality. I don't know if we can be honest in church. I think you can, because I know Rodney. You can do everything right. You can live a squeaky clean life. And still things will go horribly wrong with you. And for you. Why? Because you did something wrong? No, because this world's broken until Jesus comes back. It's not going right for anybody. Nobody's getting out alive, okay? Your day and my day's coming. I don't care how moral and clean and committed you are, but if you're bitter about that, if you're angry about that, if you judge other Christians for their commitment, if you're, if you're just constantly angry, if you feel like, you know, well, we're, we're struggling financially because I need to do more. I need to give more. Or, or, you know, this is happening, so I need to do more. Then you've stumbled into religion, because here's religion. I do your part, God, so you'll do my part. That's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who understands God has done everything through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to make me right with God. My yes is on the table. What can you not ask of me that I will not say yes to because of your grace? Do you have this, do you have this anger? Do you judge other Christians when they get excited about God? You know, are you the person that, that you'll sing the songs, and you like the music okay? Sorry, David. Um, but um, some, someone has their hands in the air, or someone's kind of maybe moving to the music, or you see someone crying, you're just like, Phew. don't ever judge someone how they act when we sing. You don't know how grace has gripped them. You don't know their story. And even if you do, you don't know what's happening in their heart that moment. You have no, you and I have no place to do. We have nothing to stand on because we're all in by grace. And grace means you understand even on your best day. You're so wicked that God had to slaughter his son for you to get into heaven. But you're so loved, he was glad to do it. So are you angry? I'll go real quickly, these last ones. Number two, you find God useful but not beautiful. He's useful to you, but he's not beautiful. See, Judas found Jesus useful. 
he's holding the money. One, he's useful because I get money. Two, if he's the Messiah, I am now the treasurer of the kingdom of Israel. He's useful. But he's seeing all this stuff Jesus is doing. He doesn't find it beautiful. See, a religiously lost person, obeying is like a grind. It's, it's not a joy. I was a history major in college. And I know there's no future in history. Um, I just didn't know what else really to, to study. Um, and, and I would read it to pass test. But last weekend, from uh, my birthday, my wife and I go to Austin. And I go to the Bob Bullock Texas State uh, History Museum. It's a great place you ought to go. Um, and I just read and read history. Why? Because I find it beautiful. I love it. Not because I'm passing the test. See, a religiously lost, religiously cold person, they're doing the right things so that God will do something, not because God has done something. It, it, it goes, it's this old story um, that Tim, Tim Keller tells in his book, The Prodigal God. Uh, he tells this story, it's actually from Elizabeth Elliot, uh, who originally wrote the story. And this isn't in the Bible. It's a made-up story about Jesus and the disciples where they're going along and Jesus tells the disciples, says, okay, boys, everyone needs to pick up a rock and carry it until I say stop. So I'll pick up rocks. And Peter, Peter's a smart, street smart guy. He picks up just a small little rock so he can hold in his hand and toss it around. The other guys are picking up bigger rocks. Or and he's just like, morons, do you not understand? He just said pick up a rock. He didn't say what size, how big. So they're walking along and they go for a while. So they stop for lunch and Jesus says all right let's stop for lunch and he turns the stones into bread so you know Andrew he's got a loaf of bread he's like, oh this is awesome and, and you know Peter's like I got a rock you know I mean and so it turns into like a little you know small crumb and he's like oh. so he eats and he's like hey Andrew you're gonna, you're gonna yell that you know and all that. and then when it's over Jesus turns to me again all right boys pick up a rock and let's go so Peter's like fool me once uh-uh and he picks up a big old rock puts it on his shoulder you know and he's just walking and they walk for miles miles they're walking and peter's just dragging along you know oh i can't wait till we stop i'm gonna eat well you morons you don't understand what's about to happen and they get there and they get to the sea of galilee and jesus says now throw your rock into the sea and they're all thrown into the sea and peter's just like but 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 uh my roll my bagels you know he throws it in into the sea and jesus says do you not understand peter what's going on here you didn't carry the rock for me you carried it for you I think that's a lot of people that call themselves Christians. They've, they've gone this part where they're religiously cold. They, they obey for what they can get out of it. They try to live right, and when it doesn't work, they're angry with God. Gospel-astonished Christians, they obey God and understand the most obedient person in the world, Jesus himself, was crucified. Why should it go any better for us? They obey to delight and resemble God, not so they can get things from God. He's useful but he's not beautiful. And then the last is, and I'm kind of reading this into the passage, is kind of a superiority complex, a religious or cultural or class superiority because it says they scolded her. Most likely they probably scolded her because she was a woman. They looked down on her. And see, what happens is when your performance, whatever that is, your self-image comes from what you do, your morality, your commitments, your um, decency, you'll look down your nose at other people. Here's one. You look down your nose at lazy people? Well, they should get what they deserve. They're lazy. Stop for a moment. You really think that people should get what they deserve? You need to take a hard look at that. Because if you and I get what we deserve, there's literally hell to pay. Get what we deserve. 
There's grace for the hard worker and great for the lazy person. Am I saying the lazy person should just, you know, Paul says if you don't work, you don't eat. So yeah, maybe they're a little hungry. Maybe they need to be disciplined and all that. But when it comes before who's right before God and who has something to boast about their righteousness, no one does. No one can boast of anything toward God. Because on your best day, your best deeds, when you were nice to an old lady, when you were picked up a crying baby, you gave to somebody some money. On your best day, your righteous deeds were like filthy rags before a holy God. What gets you right with God is not your religious commitment, but the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes you right with him. So here, here, here's the question. The question of the morning. Is Jesus a tool for you to get a better life? Or is he the joy that is better than life? Is he just a tool for you to get a better life? Or is he the joy that is better than life for you? The difference, if you're just, if you're a Christian who's gotten religiously cold, means you're missing why he really died for you. Or if you're religiously lost, you may miss eternity with him. Because here's the thing. God the Father took the most valuable commodity in the universe, the most rare, only one like it of its kind in the universe, the second person of the Trinity, His dear Son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God made flesh. He took that most expensive, precious commodity and He broke it and let what was in that commodity flow over the lives of people who turned to Him in faith. The gospel, His grace. His life was broken. So you would be astonished. Are you astonished today? Has it grown cold? Do you even know him? I don't tell you this because I'm angry. I tell you this because I'm very fearful for Southern Christians. I'm very, very fearful that many people in the South, many people that believe in the good Lord, and the good Lord will help me, that you've created God in your own image and you don't know the God of the Bible. But he knows and loves you wants a relationship with you. So turn from your self-made religion and embrace Christ by faith. Let's pray together. I want you to sit with that for a moment and let and examine yourself. Are you religiously cold? Maybe you sense a little coldness coming in. If you're astonished, don't. All you gotta do is celebrate Him. Just thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Or are you, are you a Matthew seven person? That if He was here right now, He might look at you and say, "But I never knew you. You said prayers. You read a little Bible every now and then." but you never surrendered to my grace. Why don't you surrender right now? Why don't you put your yes on the table? Why don't you pray something like this? Dear Jesus, I know I'm more wicked and sinful than I even realize. But I also know because of what you've done, I'm more loved and treasured than I even know. Will you forgive me of my rebellion against you? Will you cleanse me of my sin? Make me your child. Accept me for your sake. I surrender my life to you.
It's not magic words. It's more about what's happening in you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come do what you do. Jesus said you would come and convict us and convince us of righteousness and sin. Would you do that now? Would you convict us of growing cold or of not being in your family? Would you convince us of how glorious Jesus is? Would you reveal him to us now? In your name. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.